Hi, I'm Chelsea, the Christian Nutritionist. Welcome to the Christian Health Club podcast. We are here to fire you up in spirit, mind, and body so that you can get out into the world and be everything God created you to be. Welcome to the club. Here we go. Hello, my friend. Welcome back to the club. How are you today? In honor of upcoming Valentine's Day, and at the request of a listener, we're going to talk about men's health today and how to take care of your man. I was actually going to go at this episode alone until I thought, you know, I know a guy who is a really brilliant health practitioner who's happily married and who loves the Lord. And I thought, Ah, he'd be perfect to come on and talk talk about this topic on these different levels. So you've heard him before. We did a really great podcast together all about iron. That's episode 152. And he's here today to give us uh, professional and personal insight on how we can support the health of the men in our lives, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Welcome, Michael Rutherford, to the Christian Health Club podcast. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. This is going to be fun. Thanks for being here. Um, you'll be happy to know I've learned a lot about ceruloplasmin since we last talked. <laughs> <laughs> Done some reading awesome. <laughs> up on it. Um, that was a really that was a really fascinating podcast. I highly recommend those who have not listened to that one yet listen to it. And I thought that'd be kind of a good place to jump off from. Um, Everyone, Michael's an expert at functional blood chemistry. In fact, he teaches it. And so that's one reason I wanted to have him on is so we can talk about some of the important um, health markers to look for in our men's health. But speaking of iron, I was going to get your thoughts on this. One thing that I um, recommend that my husband do is to give blood regularly. One, because, you know, it's a nice thing to do to donate blood, but also just to kind of um, offset um, that potential iron overload. What do you think of that strategy? Yeah, I think the vast majority of men could benefit from at least one to two donations a year. Um, that's something, you know, I, I've tried to get back into uh, more recently. I definitely had been out of it for a while and my lab show it because, you know, I've had high iron issues and things like that. So it's, it's definitely can be really helpful because as men, we don't have a monthly way that we get rid of blood, right? And so we don't have that monthly blood loss where the iron's going to go away. And so it's much easier for us as well as postmenopausal women or any woman who, for whatever reason, may not be having a monthly cycle to potentially look at donating blood. What I always recommend is just get labs done first to make sure. Um, and I've got, you know, if you find me on Instagram, I actually have a reel that kind of talks about like the functional ranges of where a a couple key markers should be before donating blood. I don't like to just go off of the lab ranges because they're too broad and you might be within range and the lab might accept you. You know, they do the little, you know, pinprick to check your hemoglobin levels, but they're just making sure you don't have like overt anemia, but you can start to feel the downsides even before you get to a diagnosable anemic state. Um, so just kind of making sure we're, you know, we're not hurting ourselves while trying to be better. Mm, okay, that's good. I'm going to find that real and 
try to link to it up, link up in the show notes, um, for people, you know, I, I read, you know, somewhere like historically, you know, men would be in battle and be doing very physical things where they would often kind of lose blood in those ways. And then today we just don't have as much of that going on. So, um, yeah. We were working hard. We were cutting wood. Yeah. We were in battles. We had normal cuts and scrapes and things like that. If anyone's gone to hike, you know, on a backpacking trip, you're probably going to get at least one scrape. Uh, and you have those little little things all, you know, regularly throughout, you know, your lifetime. And yeah, you, you're just like little amounts of, of blood loss that add up. Yeah. And you think of like, you know, historically how people would do bloodletting and stuff like that, which sounds so... Mm-hmm kind of kooky, but really, I mean, it's kind of the same principle, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Well, let's kind of right. go in from there and talk about um, what you think are some key uh, markers that we want to be aware of. I mean, I don't know how, if anybody has trouble getting their, their guys to do, you know, go to the doctor or get lab work, but so valuable. My husband just turned 50 and so we're, you know, I'm really trying to get him to um, do some lab work and, and do some things and just, you know, check on all that good stuff. And he's open to it because, you know, he, he knows he, he's got to because he's my husband. But um, but maybe you can speak to that and, and what we can be looking for um, and, you know, being there and questioning when alongside our husbands or our um, significant others when we're, you know, kind of going over lab work and such. Yeah, I think, you know, some really key ones are the basics, like the complete metabolic panel or the comprehensive metabolic panel, which looks at like your liver, your kidneys, your electrolytes and things like that, Um, as well as the complete blood count, which is the CBC. Uh, That's like anemia markers and your your white blood cells. I think those two panels are key no matter what you're doing, who you are. Those things, if you're running labs, those things should just always be run. They're so foundational. Other things that I think we should be checking on are looking at, at at the very least a standard lipid panel because we can begin to get some insight about metabolic health by looking at the you know at, at the lipid panel getting a total and free testosterone along with the sex hormone binding globulin so the shbg um, those c- kind of two things together the testosterone and the shbg are going to be really helpful to see like hey Sure, maybe your husband's producing enough testosterone, but does he actually have enough available? We are seeing a huge rise in SHBG over the last 10 to 20 years, especially in men. And essentially what that does is it binds up. If we have too much of this binding protein, it's going to bind up that total that total testosterone. So there's less free, which is available. So you might have ample total testosterone and not enough free testosterone in which you're still going to have low T signs and symptoms. Um, usually it's inflammation and things like that, that are going to drive up that SHBG. And so, you know, we want to see that can essentially be somewhat of an inflammatory marker. Are there some, you know, non-ideal things going on that can often be something that begins to increase when we start having issues going on. Um, other things for sure, a full iron panel along with ferritin, because we want to see, Hey, do we have iron overload, which can create an excess amount of oxidation? Iron overload can be one of the things that drives up that SHBG. So the excess iron could be causing low T, right? So we don't want that. Um, zinc and copper zinc just being super important to male fertility and male health. Uh, I, I think and the ratio of zinc and copper is really helpful. And then I think there's just some some good inflammatory markers to look at are CRP 
or the high sense, the HS, the high sensitivity CRP. Again, just a, an inflammatory protein that we can look at. The other one is an inflammatory marker slash nutrient methylation marker, which is homocysteine. So this can give us insight to uh, B vitamins, like really even B2, B6, B9, B12, potentially all of those are involved in methylation. Uh, and so I think those, you know, those are like a good solid annual baseline of markers to get. But I always tell people the important thing when we're getting these labs, though, isn't the actual part of getting the labs. It's making sure we have someone who can really identify any issues and imbalances from a, from a more functional, holistic standpoint. Yeah. And why don't you explain why, how those um, those ranges are different from, you know, the how we would read them differently as a, a functional health practitioner, as opposed to the lab ranges, the standard lab ranges we might see on a test? Yeah. So, you know, if we use an example of, let's say a range is 20 to 100 for whatever marker, that's likely what they typically base those ranges on is they actually take the huge population of people that are coming to them, which keep in mind, most people going to get labs aren't healthy people trying to be preventative necessarily. They might be people who aren't feeling that great. So they take that and then they use a, a small standard deviation to basically use, you know, they get rid of the top 5% and the lowest 5%. And they're like, okay, the, this is what's left. And this is the range, which is not ideal at all, especially with how sick we are. Um, it, it, we can see this because there isn't, a specific exact range that all labs have to use. It might differ from going to LabCorp or Quest or your local hospital or somewhere else. The reference range that they use for any given marker may be slightly different. There's a handful of things that like everyone agrees on, like cholesterol. They all want to agree because they've all villainized it so bad, right? It, and, and so what we do in functional medicine, we're like, well, hey, hold on a second. So specifically how I teach and how, you know, I've you know worked with others to build the reference ranges that, that I teach is we looked at studies that followed people within that, that given reference range for 5, 10, 15, 20 years and said, and then split those into groups, right? So there might be four groups within a reference range. So we look at 25 to 50, 50 to 75, 75 to 100. And maybe we have three groups, right? And we say, which one of these groups had the best outcomes after 20 years? Who had, who didn't die? You know, who had the least deaths, who had the least diabetes, the least heart disease, whatever it was, that's the group I want to be. So if that was 50 to 75, that's our optimal functional range, right? So this is actually basing it off of data and research and literature versus just like, hey, what's the typical population like? Yeah, because the typical population is not healthy. Let's not let's not that be no. our bar for for health. Yeah. So yeah, so the ranges we would use would be much tighter and more shooting for an optimum optimal range and um and preventative um you know um health strategies here. So okay, good. Just wanted you to clarify that. So let's yeah. um let's unwind the cholesterol panel a bit. Um, I think this is a, <laughs> this is such a big one for people. And as much as we talk about it, I think in functional, um, the functional holistic health world, it's very scary when somebody goes to their doctor and they get a blood test and then it comes back high and the, you know, and then it's like panic mode and we want to put you on a statin and all these things. And so what are, just give us some insight on what we need to consider with these numbers that we're looking at, um, the lipid panel. 
Yeah, so basically we have, a, we have a handful of markers on there. We have total cholesterol, we have the LDLC, we have the HDLC, we have triglycerides. Those are the four main markers. You might also see the VLDL on there. Um, but these are the four primary markers that they're typically looking at for risk assessment, kind of seeing what's going on. Out of this this panel, what we want to pay the most attention to is the HDLC and the triglycerides, right? That's going to give us our our insight into the metabolic health. If those are close to being one-to-one, so HDL of, you know, 70 and triglycerides of 75, for example, that's a really good indication that someone is doing pretty decent right now metabolically. Um, Especially for men, you know, we'd like to see that around 55 to 75 or so for that HDL, the triglycerides somewhere around like 60 to 100. So we, again, in, roughly in this one-to-one range, the more the the higher the triglycerides get, and the lower the HDL gets, the worse we are, the higher risk we are for a lot of different issues. Um, and so, looking at those can be really helpful. The rest of it isn't always that helpful unless the LDLC and total cholesterol just start to get overtly high, like over two eighty. But really, I mean, we can see. You know, if we look at a lot of papers, the optimal for men over 50, right? So this is somewhat age dependent. I don't want someone who's 25 to have a total cholesterol of 230. But someone who's 55, their total cholesterol of 230 might actually be protective. And and that's really what the research says, is that men over 50 should probably have a total cholesterol between 200 and 240. Yet, if you go over 200, they're screaming at you to take statins and medications to get that down and that you're going to have a heart attack you know, a month later, uh, which is not at all true. And it's a horrible scare tactic by doctors. But really what we actually see when we, as we learn about more markers that we can use and more about lipids and cholesterol is that this panel just isn't enough to assess risk. Um, There's a, there's another marker that we can look at called the LDLP versus the LDLC. So the LDLC is the amount of cholesterol that's inside the, the particle So we have this particle and the cholesterol is actually inside of it. And there could be tons of cholesterol in one particle or a little bit of cholesterol in one particle. We don't have a good way to to look at that just off of the LDLC. And it doesn't give us the information. Um, I I try and explain it as like getting a traffic report, right? If you have, if you want to know how bad the traffic is, you don't want to know how many passengers are on the road. You want to know how many vehicles are on the road. Right, because you don't know if you've stuck four passengers in every single car or if there's one passenger for every single car or if there's city buses full with 100 passengers. Right, But if the LDLC is like telling you how many passengers are on the road, and that's not very helpful because we don't know how those are packed. The LDLP is like telling us how many vehicles are on the road. That's much more indicative of the, the blockage right? Of the road and how bad the traffic is. And so we can get this marker. And what we see is that the LDLC is only indicative of risk when it is concordant or the same as trending the same as the LDLP. But there's a lot of times that it doesn't, especially the more metabolically unhealthy you are, the less likely it is to trend the same way. What I have also found is when you start getting into toxicity issues of metals or molds and mycotoxins or other things that those become very discordant. So very unalike you could have someone who has a low LDLC that actually is at high risk because they have high LDLP or vice versa. 
someone who has high LDLC, which is that standard panel your doctor looks at, but low LDLP, and they actually have a low risk. And they've looked at those. There are studies looking at how that flows out. And the LDLC just doesn't correlate to risk. The LDLP does, and your doctor is not looking at it. So the big thing here is getting a standard panel. What I always say, if, you're, if your standard panel doesn't look good, don't worry about an advanced panel because it's not going to look good. We already know that. What we can't tell is if the standard panel looks good, the, the advanced panel could still actually be not good. And so that's where it's like all a mess. If the, you know, if a standard panel doesn't look good, that's like low HDL, high triglycerides, high LDLC, that's all going to start to look like a mess. But if you have good triglycerides, good HDL, and your LDLC is high, you might actually still be at risk or your LDLC is normal. You might still be at risk. We don't know. There's nothing on that standard panel that can correlate to that LDLP marker. Oh gosh. Okay. And so an LDLP is not We could do a whole we we could do a whole <laughs> Oh yeah, we like could. A whole episode <laughs> just on lipids. Oh yeah, we could. So the LDLP is not is not a standard marker on every um panel Correct. that is done. And so are so you would not recommend somebody if they if their markers look aren't that great to push for that LDLP. I'm thinking of the person. Okay, the guy goes in or woman for that matter, and you have your test that your markers don't look that great in this lipid panel. What what's the first thing they should do? You know, the doctor's like, okay, you need to go on a statin. What does the person do? Yeah. So. Yeah, exactly. So what happens is that, I mean, the, it's called an NMR, um, is the NMR lipo profile. Or if you go to Quest, it's the cardio IQ test. That's the actual panel that you would get that the LDLP would come on. It's just more expensive, right? And so it's just like, hey, do we do we need it if we already know what it's going to look like? If the standard lipid panel does not look good, I, I've never seen a standard panel not look good and the advanced panel look great, mm, okay. right? So it's especially with that HDL and triglycerides. If the HDL is low, the triglycerides are high. You are a metabolic, you have metabolic issues, right? And you're, you're trending towards uh, metabolic syndrome in which that is the number one thing that will mess up your advanced panel. So we don't, we don't need to look at, we don't need to spend the money. We know it's a mess. What we need to do is start getting our diet and lifestyle in place. I can't say whether or not you, you know, should take a statin or not listen to your doctor. I could tell you to research the, the concerns of statins and I could give you a list of a couple books, you know, that you could potentially look at and, and see that statins, not so great. I could list you off statistics, not so great. Um, what you do with that information, totally up to you. Uh, they, you know, they looked at studies and type people with type two diabetes who were at high risk for heart disease. It took 80, was it 78 of them or 88 of them? Somewhere around 80 of them taking a statin to save one life. Now that's someone already with type two diabetes who's at a heightened risk. It's even less, it's almost unmeasurable in someone who's never had a heart attack, who doesn't have high blood pressure, who doesn't have type two diabetes to benefit from a statin. Mm. It's almost not measurable when we look at large studies. And when we look at the studies of people taking statins, what we find, yes, it 100% lowers cholesterol. No one's arguing that. What it doesn't do is lower, lower your actual risk of heart disease and death. What they do is they always say, oh yeah, look, this shows it lowers your risk is what the studies come out and say. It never, because it doesn't lower outcomes. It's very poor at lowering actual outcomes of cardiovascular events and death. And when you do look at papers that do that, there basically isn't a benefit or it's very small. And 
the risks that can come from statins end up outweighing that tiny benefit you might get. So, you know, we've got to start addressing our diet. If, if the probably most broad general safe dietary recommendation I could make is like a Mediterranean paleo diet. So Mediterranean style, meaning lots of greens, lots of omega-3 rich seafood, um, lean proteins, maybe some nuts and seeds, but not the grains, not the legumes necessarily, right? Focusing on the lean meats, the fresh vegetables, the seafood, extra virgin olive oil. That is probably the safest dietary recommendation across the board for anyone. And then focusing on, are we getting good sleep, right? Are we prioritizing our sleep? Do we get some exercise? Exercise is one of the most profound effects on our metabolic health. So it's like, are we doing those core things before we're jumping to any of the other extremes? Right. I, yeah. I mean, I, I think um, that is worthy of discussion before um, or de definitely, definitely before, um, you know, considering a very serious medication with very serious side effects. And I'm so glad you brought up the point that, um, you know, as we age, higher cholesterol is important. And so um, they keep moving that dadgum number down. <laughs> well, I think, was it supposed to be like one, yeah. uh, 180? And the reason is because there's, because there's no correlation to it. So what, when they, I mean, when they look at, if you look at studies, people who were, their cholesterol levels at the time of admittance into the hospital for a cardiovascular event, there are as many people over 200 as under 200. It's the same. Mm. And so they take that as like, oh my, you know, how, how the pharmacist, I'm using air quotes here for, if this is a visual, <laughs> for, uh, you know, they're like, oh, this must mean that, it's, it's even lower, that we still have it too high. Instead of thinking, wait, maybe this isn't, this doesn't correlate <laughs> to risk. Instead of like, oh, we need to lower it even more. And, you know, the conspiracy theory of me, it, 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 there is to me is saying like, you know, this is them just trying to, they're using this data. They know that it doesn't correlate, but they can keep manipulating the data and the outcomes in this way to say, oh, we need to lower this even more so they can get even more people on the medication there have been doctors who have fought for putting statins in water oh. in the in the like city water it's horrible oh my gosh that's in which we know it, it increases risk for alzheimer's it increases risk for diabetes increases risk for diabetes by about 10 percent. about 10 percent of people on a statin will develop diabetes because of the statin hmm. it, yeah and i mean we need cholesterol to make hormones we need cholesterol for our brain and so all of those things and as they just keep arbitrarily lowering that number um it's it's scary so i mean i i'm glad we're talking about this and so just just for everyone to um to question to research to look into it more instead of blindly um accepting a um maybe a prescription that is offered I get all, I've gotten offered yeah. a lot of prescriptions for antibiotics for my kids over the years that I haven't taken. Like they, uh, you know what I mean? Like yeah. they, if they have to give it to you and they, they're like, no, just take it. And I'm like, oh, I, I see. Okay. I have to take it. You want, you have to give it to me. So I'll take it. But that doesn't mean I have to fill it. So. <laughs> yeah. 
I'll take the prescription that you write, but just so you know, it's going on the trash exactly, can. Exactly. So you can take it, but just, you know, just do some research about it. Um, just consider um, some alternatives like you're talking about, like, hello, can we address some other things like diet, um, exercise? But Michael, listen, I, this is what I hear from all the ladies. My husband will not get on board with the healthy eating. I try and they don't want to do it. And, um, what is your advice? I mean, what what can um, what can women do to just to help their husbands kind of guide them toward a healthier lifestyle? Yeah, so this is this is perfect, right? Because we're I mean we're on the Christian Health Pod, podcast, right? So let, let's look at this biblically, right? What does the Bible actually say the role of the wife is? Right, if she is to steward. Her, to be the steward of her home and of her husband, to care for and be that of her home, her children, her husband. She was, you know, when we look at Eve, she was made to be that the man's helper, right? So this is really like, this is the wife's calling to, to do this. And so how then do we do this? Well, first of all, like, can you, and, and Keep in mind, I, I, I say this as the man who cooks in, in the house because my wife, I love to cook. I worked professionally for 14 years in restaurants. I love to cook. My wife is not a good cook. So I do all the cooking. So this isn't like, oh, women must cook, right? But but if this is your concern and this is a priority for you, do all the cooking. Do all the shopping. Don't send him to buy. Don't go, send him to the grocery store to where maybe buy your list, but then he also buys the other junk food that he wants. Don't put it in the home. Right, because we don't want it in the home for our kids. We don't want it in our home for our partners. Right? It's I. I have a hard time understanding, to be honest, those who really start to take care of themselves and they start changing their own diet, but then they're still buying them their kids McDonald's all the time, or they've got all sorts of junk food in the house. I'm just like, where you you obviously understand that those aren't healthy things because you're not consuming them now. So why then would we want to feed them to our children, to our spouses, right? So start preparing his food. He's either going to eat it or he's not right. He's either going to, he's either just going to eat it and deal with it, or he's going to just not eat, or he's going to go and make his own food. And if, if it gets to that point, I mean, he's just being overtly stubborn about it. And there's nothing you are going to do to change him about it. Badgering him about it won't work. So the number one thing I think that, and this happens on both sides, but especially that women may tend to do is badger their husband about it, right? Oh, about his health and, and doing all these things. And if you flip the switch and at any time he does anything for his health, praise him, right? Leave alone the negatives, leave it alone because it's still his health, right? It is the, but just praise the daylights out of anything he does good. If he signs up for the gym, if he starts going to the gym, if you start noticing a difference, make it known that you notice a difference, grab his arm, feel his shut, right? Like let him know if you compliment a man, I, there's extra studies on this. It is insane how seldom a man gets a compliment and how long it will benefit him. So if you just drop him a few compliments Give him some praises when he does make those changes, right? And then just prepare the food and buy the food and don't put the junk in the house. It's not going to be there. If we can control the house, if you, you know, if he goes to work and you 
make him a lunch to take to work and you make his breakfast before he goes to work and you make his dinner when he goes, the only thing he can really choose to have are some snacks. It's going to be, it, that's only going to make up 10% of his diet. The 90% that you're feeding him is going to make up for that. It's okay if he's not perfect, that 90% is going to be taking care of him. Yeah, that's such good advice. And I often tell, you know, <laughs> I always tell my, um, my clients that are women, I'm like, Hey, husbands love me. Cause you know what I tell you to eat go, you know, go make a steak and you could make some, yeah. you know, a, 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 some potatoes and a salad. I mean, and you know what, yeah. what guy is gonna, maybe he won't eat the huh. salad, but it's not dairy queen, you know, I mean, it's, it's real yeah. food, but it's delicious food. And you know, if even just like your, if you roasted that broccoli or Brussels sprouts with bacon, Oh yeah. He'd eat it. My brother, my brother, my brother's 40, he'll be 43 this year. And he didn't eat Brussels sprouts until like three years ago when I brought over a thing of Brussels sprouts for like Thanksgiving or Christmas. And I don't know why he tried them because he doesn't like them and he just needed to grab a little bit of everything. And he's like, wow, he's like, these are amazing. He's like, I don't like Brussels sprouts, but these are delicious because I roasted them in olive oil and then added some bacon and a little bit of bone broth. And they're just super delicious and salty. Right. And it's like, who's not going to love that. And now, you know, you've got the, you've got the greens in there. You've got, you know, we use pasteurized bacon. So you've got some good healthy fats. You've got the olive oil, you've got the broth. Like, this is now a, like this is still a really healthy thing and he's eating it and he loves it. Yeah. So, I mean, it doesn't have to be um, like tofu and, <laughs> you know, <laughs> things like that. Yeah. Don't make him like a dry chicken breast, <laughs> you know, you know, iceberg lettuce salad with like fat free ranch dressing. Like, of course, he's not going to eat it. <laughs> Barf. I know. I, you know, the, like, right? don't, you know, and I think you don't have to announce, hey, we're going to start eating healthy and then just start making him oh. a delicious piece of meat and, you know, some vegetable and, you know, and, and really that's a, I mean, I find many men that like to eat that way. And the other thing, kind of what yeah. you're speaking to as well, you know, I think that for women, you know, we will, we'll start that journey for ourselves and quite often if we just back off a little bit with the badgering and our spouses and our significant others can see the change in us. I've had a lot of husbands get on board after they've seen the changes in their wife. One of the main ones being their mood is so much better. Um, yeah. It's just not just the physical changes, but um, just kind of that the emotional, the mental, just that those kind of stable moods and they are more complimentary. They're just happier when they feel good and, you know, in and about their body and, um, and their husbands are much more likely to like, oh, well, maybe I'll try that. It's just working so well for you. Mm -hmm. So just being that example, um, that living example um, of it, I think is really helpful too. 100%. Well, I like what you said about the compliments. I think, and maybe we can kind of move into um, what I would consider emotional, you know, support for husbands and mm -hmm. um or the men in our life. I, I think that that's, I didn't know that statistic. What did you say that they're just, they're not complimented, but it goes, what I got, it, oh, they're yeah. not complimented, it's, but it goes like, a long I, way. I, I, yeah. I forget what it is. And it's like one single compliment. Like it's so seldom that they do get them, that the average man actually receives a compliment. You think about how often women receive compliments, right. From their, from their friends or whoever they're getting complimented all the time. Look at comment. I mean, like, 
it's actually funny. Actually, I, I tend to dress really well, especially when I go to church. I just enjoy it. And so one of our youth pastor, who's actually our neighbor, like makes a comment about it all the time and it feels good. Right. But it's like, think about all the time, like how many women you're walking down a street and just like a random other woman will compliment you. Never in my life have I ever been complimented by another guy about how I'm dressed (laughs) (laughs) or or how I look, right? We just, men just get complimented less by strangers, by people we know. We just don't receive as many compliments. And because of the rarity, we treasure them longer, Mm. right? So that it like, it, it like sparks that joy in us longer and fuels us longer. So imagine if we just had someone close to us, dear to us, who actually gave us genuine compliments regularly what how that could begin to change your man right and he's going to want to get more of those compliments so he's going to want to do the behavior that leads to getting compliments versus just avoiding the nagging we kind of just drown it out after a while right and and it's just like uh, whatever like this is just part of life but if you change from that to complimenting him instead when he does something you like or does something you want promise it will go so much better yeah i made me think of how i can just tune out the kids you know like there could be just chaos noise going around me it's like <laughs> doesn't even like you know it does not even on my radar because you're so used to it so i i'm sure the nagging kind of does the same thing um well yeah i was you know curious what um if there's anything else aside from maybe receiving compliments that in your relationship with your wife, I know y'all are happily married and, you know, what are those things like for you personally that, um, that she might do for you that just helps create happiness or fulfillment or support for you that you appreciate or you notice? Yeah. So one, and this is great because this actually is specific about my health, right? Is that, but like I try to at least every day have this big mineral drink. So it's a 32 ounce mason jar filled with filtered water. Then it's got like some different electrolytes in it and some mineral drops and things like that. And each and every day she like when I come upstairs to my office, I work, I work at home. So I'm upstairs to my office. And when I'm up here, if she noticed that I didn't make a drink or she didn't see me make one, because sometimes I just rush up here and I didn't like today. Um, and there's one sitting outside my door, probably uh, as she'll ask, she'll, she'll send me a message and she'll be like, Hey, did you, do you have a drink? Do you need one? Would you like one? And sometimes I'm busy on calls all day. So like sometimes like, I, I don't know why I did. I never skipped for like years. I never scheduled in like my lunch hour. So sometimes it would just happen that I just got rammed with calls all day long and which is like barely have time for lunch. And so she would set out a snack or something like a meat stick and an RX bar and outside my door. So that whenever I was in between calls, I could grab it real quick and grab a bite to eat. Like just doing those things to showing that she's cognizant of my needs, right? Just being like, Hey, she's aware of my needs and wants to take care of me and serve me. Right. So it's like doing those little things, her making me a water takes her 30 seconds. Right. But, what that means to me is huge because it shows that she's not just thinking of herself all day. She's thinking of me and she's helping me be more successful in that bringing the snacks because I don't have time to get away for lunch. Right. Those kind of things are incredible for what that, what that does to me. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now I have to ask what you, I need some more specifics <laughs> about your drink. <laughs> oh gosh. Okay. So right now keep in mind that I like, 
all of us are going through mold detox. So one of the things how mold has affected me is it really has disrupted like my cellular hydration and my ability to hold water and minerals. So I basically like I have lower levels of what's called an antidiuretic hormone, which if you think about that really quick, it's antidiuretic. So you want higher levels of it will keep you from urinating more often. So when you have low levels, you urinate more which means you lose more minerals and more water. So it's one of the ways that mold can affect you. So I literally, like, there's a lot. And there's people are like, holy cow, you put a lot of things in there. So I use the trace mineral research, like their trace mineral drops. It's like probably 20 of the, like 20 drops of those. It's just like two good shakes or whatever in there. And then we use CT minerals from Cellcore. It's like a full dropper of those. Um, I put an LMNT packet in there a scoop of adrenal cocktail from Jigsaw as well as Jigsaw's um, pickleball. Um, so like pickleball is really high potassium where the adrenal cocktail has some like whole food vitamin C. It has uh, a, a Redmond's real salt for sodium. Um, they both have a little bit of magnesium. And then the element has like a good balance of like potassium, magnesium, sodium as well. Um, so it's like the, it's just this mix of like all the things to get in there. <laughs> that is all the um, things. It's, yeah, <laughs> it's like all the different minerals. It's like, oh, what electrite do you use? <laughs> I use multiple on a daily basis. Wow. So and on days I play soccer, I have two of them. <laughs> wow. I didn't know you were going through mold detox. Yeah. Yeah. The boys and I lived in uh, a moldy home for three and a half years before we moved into this, the home that we're in now. Oh, so it was, gosh. Yeah. We're just all still recovering. And she previously, she was, you know, living elsewhere and she had her own exposure. And so we're all going through it now. The kids, me, her, we've even got the dogs going through it. It's Oh my gosh. It's an expensive monthly supplement. Bill. I would, I can't <laughs> imagine that. Yeah. But what do you do? You, you gotta, you gotta do that. It's serious. It feels like just mold has just become such um, a, a prominent issue more so than ever. This, yeah. He, there's a there's a handful of reasons for why it's growing and it's not going to get better. But yeah, why? Uh, COVID is one. Oh, um, it, it's it, we're honestly we're because of that we are going to we are we not going to we already are entering into honestly what will be a new will have to be a new way of practicing functional medicine, which is really bad for the general public because, you know, functional medicine is 20 years ahead of, you know, allopathic medicine. And, you know, if we move ahead, allopathic medicine is going to be 30, 40, 50 years behind. I mean, it's just going to be horrible what so many people are going through. Um, just because of just the immense immune disruption that even minor cases are causing, and why we have so many long haulers because it's digging up so many dormant things, whether that's Epstein-Barr virus or Lyme or mold or parasites that were relatively dormant and not having a huge impact on the body. And then now it's becoming this huge thing and why we see so many long hauler cases. And it's only going to continue that way. Um, so that's one big one. And that's just going to have to shift how we, we, the basics of just covering like some, you know, taking 80% of our clients through gut health protocols, it isn't going to work. And even how we address the gut isn't going to be the same. We see in studies that people post COVID have lower microbiome counts. So their bacteria is just depleted. They don't necessarily have dysbiosis where their bacteria, they have high counts of, of bad bacteria all over the place. They just have low bacteria. 
and how we if we keep tossing antimicrobial herbs and antibiotics and things like that is only going to make it worse not better so we're going to again have to begin shifting how even in functional medicine what was working five years ago isn't working anymore because on we're just not the same anymore and we're i mean we are essentially in a post-covid world from health and that's going to change um so that's one the abundance of EMFs is another big one. Uh, they've actually shown that EMFs can increase mold growth. So, you know, you think of a small leak in an apartment complex where there are a hundred Wi-Fi routers and EMFs everywhere. You've got more and more Bluetooth devices now all the time admitting those. Those are all, that's all going to compound into more and more and more. We've got, you know, you look at schools, which are already known for being moldy and there's computers and laptops and everything all over the place. Wow. Oh my goodness. Well, that's, yeah. I'm glad to know that I've been, I'm like, why all of a sudden does it feel like mold is just so prevalent and such a more of an yeah. issue than it ever has been, but there you go. Wow. Um, well, I'm like, bump, womp, womp. <laughs> <laughs> Debbie Downer moment there. <laughs> no, but I mean, that's, that's good to know. I mean, I, I that's, uh, kind of fascinating, but, um, but good to know. Um, but okay. So you have a serious, a serious electrolyte drink then to, um, <laughs> right now. Um, but I love all those components and, um, we've talked about that here before on this podcast, those different components of the good electrolyte drinks. Um, so that's fantastic. That's very, um, that is a very kind gesture. I think those, those small kind gestures that, you know, a lot of times we do, especially, um, you know, I've been married for gosh, 20, um, I should know off the top of my head, but I don't like 24 years. Um, and you know, when you're together in the beginning, you're, you are, you're just more in the honeymoon and then you've been married 24 years and you don't, you, you know, you kind of stop doing some of those things. And I've really made it, um, a concerted effort in these past years to, um, just to, to do those things, to be more complimentary, mm -hmm. you know, to my husband. And, and one thing I try to do every day is I, you know, I realized I heard somebody else say that, say this is, you know, their husband come home from work and they, whatever they're doing, they'll stop and they'll go over there and they say hello and give him a hug and how's your day. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't even do that. I just look up and say hi and go back to my work or whatever <laughs> I'm doing. I'm like, that is so rude. And I can just tell a difference now that I, I do take that time and I go greet him and hug him and just give him my full attention for, you know, even if it's a few minutes before we're distracted from all the people and the dog and all the things, yeah. you know, um, <laughs> but it's those little things I think really help. Um, I'm curious, do you know, cause this made such a huge difference when I knew this about my husband, do you know if you are, um, and this is according to the four tendencies in Gretchen Rubin's book, mm -hmm. an upholder, an obliger, a questioner, or a rebel. Are you familiar with that book and those tendencies? I'm a rebel slash questioner, okay. <laughs> which is a horrible thing for <laughs> trying to run your own business, by the way. That is, a it is the most difficult combination to run your own business. And I can attest to that. Um, but I am, I, and it does. I a hundred percent agree that it makes a huge difference. Um, if you, understand not only yours, but what your spouse's is for sure. Yes. What is your wife's? Uh, she's definitely like an obliger. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. See, we have the same thing going on over here. I'm an obliger and my <laughs> husband's a rebel. And but I'll tell you, once I read that book and I, I was like, ah, okay, I told I know how to handle him now, you know, like whereas yeah. just for instance, and I've given this uh, this example before, you know, if, if we I wanted him to do something like we're gonna let's go on this go out of town this weekend and do this thing, you know, no, can't. And then I would just go in and fight. And now, you know, I'm like oh there's this thing i don't know if you don't want to go it's fine it's just all in the presentation <laughs> the rebel does not want to feel pressured to do something and they're going to do the the opposite but um but it is an interesting dynamic so i always recommend people um i love that book better than before i've talked about it so many times so i think that can be really helpful once you understand those that about your um your significant other what about um your love language do you have a love language I honestly, I struggle with this so much because I feel like it's a lot of them. <laughs> like it, it totally changes depending on my face. Um, but I would say words of affirmation is definitely up there for sure. Um, which again, no wonder why I, you know, I do really well with compliments and, and, and comments and, and praise. Um, you know, you know, going back to, you know, some of the things that she does, just like saying thank you, right? Like we go out to dinner. She says, thank you. I make dinner. She says, thank you. Like doing just that kind gesture to know that like, Hey, like she's, you know, actually grateful for these things. You know, if I, you know, put together a date night and just like actually being thankful, because again, if while we shouldn't be doing things to receive something, right. So I shouldn't set up a date just to get a thank you at the same time if I never get any sort of anything in return, it's very hard to continue those because it's like, what's the point even, even though you might feel it inside, just share it. So often we just don't, we feel it, right? We just don't share those things. Um, and I think that is it, verbalizing those things to actually letting know. And I love that you were like, you know, after 24 years, I've gotten away from, you know, actually greeting my husband beyond just like, Hey, <laughs> when he walks in the door. Right. And it, it's, we so often forget that love is an action first, right? That it, it, it's truly an action. And we so often, the more, the longer we're in love, right? The, the more we actually separate from that aspect of it. And we just think that it's just like, it's there, but it's like, no, like it is something that we have to continuously do and keep up. And, and it's this action more than anything. Um, so I love that. But I would say, as far as love language, I think words of affirmation and touch probably are the two consistent top ones. Mm -hmm. Yeah, my, my husband's, I think they changed too. you know, um, touch and then quality time is another, mm -hmm. another one that is important to him. Um, I think one of the things that I see really important for how I can help my husband and I'd be interested to see um, if this is true for you and maybe how this works for you is um, just helping reduce stress um, in whatever way that means. Usually it means just me being calm, <laughs> calm in a time when it's um, in a stressful situation. I mean, he's been going through so much um, in, in so many levels and just trying to not or not add to the stress with other things, knowing when not to jump in with something that 
you know, like, I don't really need to bother him with this or, or, um, or whatever mm -hmm. it is, you know, like just try to protect, help protect his environment. Um, because I feel like stress is one of the things that just send men to their grave way too early. Um, yeah. what, what do you think about that? A hundred percent. Like, again, going back to like you as the wife are the keeper of the homes are, you know, you are his helper. You are the steward. Like if you, if there are just things that you could do that don't actually so often, right. And, and my wife, this is still a learning curve for my wife. She's gotten so much better at it. It's like, she was kind of afraid to make her own decision, right. About anything that had to do with our home. Right. And it's like, no, no, no. Like I married you because I trust you to take care of those things. And so she doesn't need to check with me for each thing, right. Or for each purchase or, you know, changing, you know, putting up new decor around the house or whatever it may be. It's like, Oh, like I, I trust your decision in that. And it's like, you can, like, you can handle those things. I, and so I, I think it, it is, it's, we, men and women carry stress very differently. And so it's so often difficult for men or for women to understand how men do carry it. Cause it's much more silent. It's very internal, but, you know, especially a good man is going to carry a lot of weight on his shoulders, especially, I would say, if his wife is stay at home, if she doesn't work or she has, you know, minimal income and he is the, the premier breadwinner is it's like not only just the general caring and the well-being of the household, right, but you know, always you know, worried about where the kids are, how you are, all the different things that we that we carry and shoulder and so much more beyond that and all the things that we're trying to protect you from and protect our family from. Um, it, it's, it's a lot. And so it's like, you know, if we don't have to worry about those things, it can be super helpful. It, it's, you know, looking at, we can look at what CEOs do and it's really interesting. Uh, a lot of like really high level CEOs and millionaires and billionaires, they, one of the, the tricks that they do is they try to minimize little thoughts and decisions as much as possible. So they have an outfit for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, right? They wear the same thing every Monday, every Tuesday, every Wednesday, everything. They might eat the same things every day for, you know, every time for those for each meal on those different days, they try to minimize all the little decisions that take up space and time and energy that don't really matter. It's not going to really matter if you wear the same outfit every Monday, especially to a man that work that, that matters way less to a man than it does a woman. <laughs> True. You know, it, it's a man does not care if we show up to the office every single Monday in the same outfit. That is like a terrifying thought to the average woman, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? It's like, I can't do that. I can't wear this dress again. I just wore it last week, right? But it, it, it's, those are the things that, and I honestly, and, and you know, we could, I could, you know, get a lot of heat for this, but I think it's, men have naturally aspired to leadership roles because of things like that, because we can, those, those are the things that don't matter to us. Right. And so we can easily not just think about it 
it's much easier for just the way our the male brain works. They very much work differently. Um, it's not just a social construct. They're literally just wired differently. It, the ability to do so. And so if you can remove some of those other decisions around the household for him, the, the, the simple things, right? It's like, that's going to be so much easier on us. And it's, again, that's just going to help us. And, you know, the important thing here is to not only remember, you know, because again, this is to help the because mostly women are your audience, right? And so it's helping the women to this. But I would be saying similar things to husbands, right? And we it's just carried differently, um, which we can get to in a second because I know I, I know one of the coming questions, and I'll come back to that topic. But I just wanted to kind of like preface that that you know this is a, this isn't all to say that all of the weight is on the women either. Right, right. There's definitely um, that kind of division of um maybe a division of stressors and um for sure but that made me think of you know there are a lot of um i've read about ceo women ceos who do a capsule wardrobe um for that Mm -hmm. very reason you know and i i've done a capsule wardrobe experiment where i like whittled my closet down to 30 pieces of clothes and i did that for like several months it was a really interesting eye-opening um experiment and experience to do that um mm-hmm. i'd like to circle back and do that again it does it's like decision fatigue it just takes off that whole like that's just out of your brain like you're not you know less yep. things to worry about um but i do i like that idea once i kind of thought of the idea of um being the protector of my husband's space and even like his kind of you know his physical the physical space around him you know just trying to and and not like because I'm supposed to clean his house for him or I'm supposed to do you know just because I want him I want to help him I want you know I want to um mm-hmm. support him in any way and if there's things I can do that makes that make the home more peaceful um for him then I want to do that because again I th- stress is stress is one that is um we can all we can have the perfect quote-unquote perfect diet we can exercise we can you know do all the things but stress could still kill you um so yeah i mean you know and looking at that and and the value that that brings to your whole family right it is one of the things it is really amazing to see is looking at so I was a single father of twins for a long time with 50% shared custody. So I had them 50% of the time and I had to work that around my work and everything else. And thankfully, you know, I did work for myself, so it was easy enough, but that restricted a lot because not only was I, you know, I was a single father, so I had to do all the cleaning, I had to do all the cooking, all the caring for the kids, right? On top of all the working. So I like, and I know there's single mothers out there, so I get it. Like I know what that takes and how difficult it is. And so it's like, you know, my, again, my, you know, we're all going through mold detox and it's definitely harder. It's been heavier and, and harder on my wife. And she feels so terrible sometimes because, you know, she doesn't always, you know, her tasks, the things that she's kind of responsible for around the home, she doesn't get to perfectly hundred percent of the time. I'm just like, listen, like, honestly, like it doesn't face me <laughs> because I'm used to having to do everything all the time. Just me. Whereas, you know, if, if you slack, you know, slack off, if you, you know, fall behind 20%, even like everything still looks amazing to me. This is 10 times cleaner than what it ever was when it was just me because I could never keep up with anything. I had to let say, you know, I had just, I couldn't keep up with things. So it's like, 
And if you look at the income that I made before our marriage and living together and the income I made now, it's huge. Really? How interesting. Because I, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Like it's almost, I probably added about 75% wow. this last year. So seeing the difference of not having to stress about those things, not having to do those things or focus on those things or worry about this. I don't ever worry about the laundry. Does it need to be done? I don't ever worry about cleaning the bathrooms or cleaning or vacuuming or doing any of those things. If I didn't, you know, I still go because I get joy out of picking up my kids from school. So we both go, but I know that if I, you know, if something were to come up, she could go do that. I don't have to make sure nothing is ever scheduled. My, you know, she, I, you know, she's been going to the boys and, and helping chaperone for the boys field trips. So I don't, you know, and again, I would like to, and when they give me enough warning <laughs> and I can schedule it in, it's something I very much want to be able to do, but it, I'm not like super bummed out that now no one is there. They absolutely love her and they love when she comes. And I know that someone is there. I know that she is able to help and do so many activities with them that I never was able to do just around the house doing learning activities or just, just different fun things. Um, you know, and I, I join in when I can, but I know that even if I can't get to it, it's still getting done for them. And they're still getting that enrichment around the house and that present parent figure in the home. Um, and so that's all, I don't have to stress about those things. I would sit and, and stress all day while working that, you know, all oh, my kids had too much screen time today because especially during COVID, right. Because they were home from school and, you know, now they're home the whole time. They're not going anywhere. I have no free time, you know, when they're here to be able to work. And so it was like, Hey, they just like, in order to do calls sometimes, like they just had to have some screen time to be quiet. Cause they were, you know, four five, six years old. Um, and it's just like, you just can't entertain it. They can't self entertain for that long. <laughs> um, and so it's like, sometimes, you know, just had to do screen time or had to, or I would worry that we weren't doing enough things that like, I don't, my, my brain doesn't get filled with those, those stressors anymore. And it's, trying to get her to, to realize that so she doesn't feel the guilt when she's not perfect right it's like the gratitude i have for her because i don't have those stressors and then what that does the amount that i made more this last year is more than she has ever made in her career and she had a corporate job and the 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 amount difference and she doesn't want to go back to that and even by the time we were dating she wasn't in that corporate world anymore but even if she had been by just by her staying home allow and taking care of those things allowed me to amplify my earnings more than what she was ever bringing in. Mm. And so it's like, it still made more sense. And she was making, you know, a very solid income, but because of my business and my being stressed me, being able to pour into that. And that's part of the man side, right? Is making sure that we're doing that, that we're doing the best that we can. If she's if she's feeding us and taking care of us, and you know, and being our helper, right, and tending to our needs, we need to make sure that we're living up to our side of the bargain, which is the provision. Mm -hmm. That's so interesting, but but it makes a lot of sense, you know. And it, statistically, you actually see the same thing: men with stay-at-home wives make more money. Hmm. The average CEO has the average male CEO has a wife that does not work. Hmm. Interesting. 
Well, I can definitely see how, you know, just um, relieving relieving you of all that stress so you can focus more on um, on your gifts of what you're doing um, for sure. And, um, just having those, those things taken care of for you. And, um, and I love doing that, you know, as well. And frankly, I'm better at it than my husband. (laughs) Yeah. Oh yeah, exactly. I mean, you are, (laughs) women are, I mean, again, God designed us very intently. Like he didn't mess up. We are different for a reason because we complement each other, right? Men are, men are more equipped mentally and physically to go out into the workforce to be in a competitive nature because that's what the workforce is. Men are more equipped for that on as a whole, as naturally designed. Women are more nurturing and caring and tending. They, they do those things better. They just do. Um, and again, I, I always give the example. This, this isn't like, oh, women must do this and men must do this. I cook every single meal in our home. I make the boys lunches. I, I'm the one who gets the boys ready for school because I'm better in the mornings. She's definitely not a morning person, right? So I'm the one who gets up early. I get the boys ready for school. I take them to school, come home. I make our breakfast. I make our lunches. I make our dinners. Um, so it's like, I'm doing those things. So it's not just like, oh, women must do these things and men must do these things. But in general, we're better at certain things. And so instead of trying to fight that, if we work with that, again, women can work, but biblically, their first priority is the home if you can do that and work by all means to it but it's you know i i've seen the quote that uh someone just kind of you know phrasing it's like women have no you know the the feminist woman has no problem going to work a corporate job to earn her way and make a bunch of money for another man but if she were to stay home so that her her husband her man could benefit and make more. It's like, that's like, that's crazy. That's crazy talk, but we'll do it. You know, it'll, it, you know, a, a modern woman might do that for some random guy. And that's, that's empowering, but it's not empowering to stay and help your own husband earn more. Um, so it's interesting. Ooh, that is interesting. Interesting way to look mm-hmm. at it. We don't think about no. it that way. Yeah, we don't. Um, and I think just kind of speaking to what you were, you were saying, how you do, you know, all the cooking and such, I mean, really just, um, you, complimenting each other in your gifts and how you contribute to the household. What are your strengths? Whatever that may be, you know? Um, And, and then, and then the other side of that, being grateful, being grateful for the person that, you know, does that and not taking it for granted. And I think those things just go such a long, um, such a long way. Well, let's, let's kind of started transitioning there into, um, I would love to hear how, faith plays a role in your life, in your health and how you came to be a believer. I mean, I've seen you, um, the reason I know that you are is because you share that in social media. I've seen it. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so, you know, I, I know that that is something important to you. How, how did that come about for you and how does it, um, contribute to your health in your life? Yeah. I mean, so it's, I've mostly grown up in the church. Um, I was born into a Mexican Irish Catholic family. <laughs> so, so my mom is Mexican and very and, and, and Catholic, and my my dad's side comes from an Irish Scottish Catholic family, um, very large family. And, and so that was kind of you know my how I was born into and 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 was going to you know a Catholic church uh, with my mom 
for a while. Then I kind of, when my parents separated, I was not really in anything much for a while uh, until about third grade where uh, one of my friends on my soccer team uh, invited me to come with them to uh, to church. And I was like, yeah, sure. Um, and it was Presbyterian, but borderline non, non-denominational um, more than like a typical Presbyterian church. And so I really went through there um, all through the rest of, of school, for the most part, there was a like my freshman, sophomore year, I kind of got away from it, but then came back into it my junior. Year. And that was really, I'd say if any, if there was ever a point in time where I truly, really was like, I like in, in my full understanding was like, I accept Christ was in my junior year. Um, and that made a big difference. I mean, my grades turned around who, you know, the people I, I hung around with completely changed and it really actually, you saw Christ moving in my life and changing things. Um, and through my twenties, I, you know, kind of came and went, I always had a, a faith and, be- and belief, but how that practiced, how that lived out in my life, how that, uh, you know, I actually went to church and things like that. We're very, we're definitely wax and weaned um, really until uh, 20, you know, 17. Um, so I was, what, about 30 years old um, to where I found a local church. It was still the church that I go to today. Um, and it was the first time I had, I'd moved a lot in my twenties. I lived in like five different States in my twenties. Um, and so I just moved a lot. And that was the first time I really had felt like I was at home in a church since like, you know, going back, you know, where I grew up. Um, and so that made a huge difference. And really that has played a huge part over the last five years. And you're right. I do like it is in my business. I have no shame about putting that on my social media, being very open about it. I have lost potential clients because of, you know, sharing my beliefs and, and, and all of that. And I'm, and I tell them I am so glad because I don't, I don't want you to, I don't want you to work with me if you don't, you know, if you feel that strongly against it, um, that's totally okay. I'm not upset. Um, you know, that is 100% your choice. That's why I'm very open about it. I'm very open about the vast majority of my beliefs. Um, and if you don't agree with that, you don't want to give your, me your money, then absolutely don't. Um, there, there will be someone else out there for you. Um, I am going to be who I am and be very proud of that and be okay with that. Uh, and I've also on the flip side, I've gotten tons of clients and tons of students who just absolutely love that I am open about it and that I do share it. Right. And, you know, I've had other practitioners who are trying to start their business, reach out to me and talk to me about it because they're scared to right? you know, the pushback and all the different things and the persecution of Christianity at this point in our culture. Um, you know, and you know, their fear of not getting enough clients because of it. And I'm like, listen, I've, I, I have gotten far more people to take my courses or to work with me as a client then because I'm open about it than I ever have because that I've lost because I'm open about it. Oh yeah. I mean, I, people are looking for it. That's why Carly and I started, you know, our, our (laughs) school of Christian health and nutrition. I literally cannot handle all the, the people that come my way because they specifically um, search for a Christian nutritionist and such. And, and I'm like, I need people, mm-hmm. I got to, ref- I need a group of people to refer to. And so, you know, um, you know, people are looking for that. I'm, um, and I think it, you know, it is a beautiful thing to share and <laughs> it is such a, an important critical piece of health. I mean, truly spirit, mind, yeah. body, it, it, you can't really separate one 
from the other and you know and maybe I, I don't know if this is how it works for you but speaking to stress you know is that I if I did not have um my faith in my belief in my Oof. life I I want to think I, about I, it I mean I would be a hot <laughs> mess I mean I'm kind of a hot mess sometimes yeah. anyway but you know that would just be um I can't even imagine and I can't imagine that people that don't have that um so you, you know I is there any more of a way that you find it um just bringing you peace or, or reducing your stress or any other you know kind of healthful um ways that it it does it brings for you yeah I mean I you know a lot of it is um and one of the things that we've heard, one of the sermons we went through in church not that long ago was talking about how so often we try and create a hierarchy, right? It's like, okay, God first, then our family, then our work, and then this. And it, it's it's really, is that the best way to see it? Or can we just try and apply God to every area of our lives? Can we bring God into our work? And that doesn't mean like, oh, we're handing out Bibles in the office, Right. But can we, can we act as Christ would in our workplace? Right. How would Christ show up in our workplace? How would he show up in our relationship in our parenting and in all of those things versus, okay, I'm going to go and spend an hour reading my Bible every day. And now, okay, cool. I've checked that bar. I've checked that box off, right? Like I've prioritized that. I did that first and checking it off and then going through the rest of your day. It's like going to Sunday and not applying Christ to the rest of your life. It's like, well, I went to church on Sunday, so now I'm good. So, you know, like, how can, how can he show up? And that's what, that's why I've started sharing. And, and I've been so consistent in trying to be more consistent about applying those things, you know, into my posts, into things that I share um, and being open about it. So it's like, no, this is like, it's part of my work. Um, it's not like, oh, there's my faith and then there's my work. It's like, no, that is, it's, it's become a part of that. Um, as far as my health, it's like, it's the body is a temple, right? Like how can we not care? I mean, it's, that is the no, probably the number one thing that keeps me making sure I care for like, it's one of the best things we can do. It, it's, it's one of the best ways we, you know, we can show our appreciation for this body and life we do have given to us by God is to appreciate the vessel that he has given to us to live this life. Mm-hmm. And what you were saying before made me think of something you said earlier, you know, um, bringing Christ into our work and, and, and trying to, um, be more like him and, and bring that love. And just like we were talking about marriage earlier and it's the action, you know, it's not like the one time, mm -hmm. you know, oh, I'm gonna go to church and check that box off for the week. And then I'm, then that's it. And then I won't think about it till next week or, you know, just applying that action of love in every way in our life, in our work, you know, in our marriages, in our, um, in our health for ourselves, for these, for these temples that, you know, God has given us loving our bodies, being appreciative of them, you know, knowing that they work for us and not against us. And, um, all of those things. I love that. That is, mm -hmm. um, so important. And I, you know, I think that for, um, for couples who go to church together, I think that is, a beautiful thing and to have, you know, four men, I think it's, um, it, it can be part of that, that stress reduction, you know, just in mm -hmm. that higher, just giving uh, that broader ex uh, perspective of life. And, um, and so I know it does that for my husband and, um, and it's just one of the best things that we do together is to, 
is to go to church and um, we have a really solid foundation together in that. And I think that's really beautiful and really important. But again, for if somebody's listening, their husband doesn't go to church. I think being the example of that, um, again, and just your actions, again, just the way that you live mm-hmm. and your actions, um, whether it's the food you're eating, making your, your physical body um, feel better. And so you're, you know, exuding different behaviors and um, going to church, same thing, you know, the, what that does for you. Yeah internally and just exuding that, that light. Um, I always call it organic evangelism, you know, it's like, um, we don't mm-hmm. have to beat somebody over the head with the Bible, but just kind of be that love and be that example just by the way that we live. So I think that's incredible. Um, yeah. And you ahead. know, it's, I would go back to, to one of the things that, uh, one of the questions before about just like what my wife does to help with my happiness, fulfillment and all of that is, she allows me to have time with other men, right? So like I have a weekly soccer game. It's a, a over 30 men soccer league um, and having that time right now, she comes and watches, but it's, it is time for me to just be in fellowship with other men um, to go, you know, during the summer month, during, during the warmer months, I won't just say summer months, but during the warmer months for maybe about half, you know, five or six months of the year. Um, my, one of my, one of my groomsmen and I go fishing. I actually met, I actually met him on a Facebook, on a local Facebook fishing group. Um, we were just like, Hey, yep. We fished the same lake. Like, let's just meet up sometime. Um, you know, and you know, four years later, here we are. Uh, he was my groomsman. He was one of my groomsmen at my wedding. Um, and we hang out and we go all the time. And he actually, it was amazing to watch his health transformation. He's lost tons of weight and done all this stuff. Um, it's really cool to just watch him too. Um, but it's just like allowing me to have that time um, is super important. What One of the biggest things that men are missing today are other men, and especially healthy. And I mean that not just physically healthy, but like spiritually healthy men around them. That is such a good point. I wholeheartedly agree. And just, you know, my husband will get so busy and he'll tell me, oh, the guys are going to go meet at, you know, the lake this weekend. I'm like, go, go, <laughs> please go. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, and he, because you see how good yes. he feels when he comes back. When he comes back, he has just the belly laughed. You know, I just know he spent his whole weekend belly laughing and mm-hmm. being outside and they're playing tennis and they're having a great time. And, you know, I can visibly see it. I want him to go experience that. And and the same for me, like I need to go hang out with my girlfriends exactly. and do the same. And I think that's really healthy. I'm so glad you brought that up. That is, that is really important. That fellowship. Um, it truly is. So that's a great one. Um, well, before I let you go, I want to hear what your anchor meal is. I remember what it was last time. And I don't know if you. What was it I'm last not time? You. Let's see if it's I'm not going to tell you because I'm going to see what it is. <laughs> <laughs> what is it? Because if it's the same. Was it chicken yes, wings? Yes, and that's okay. <laughs> that's... <laughs> see? I'm consistent. I am a man. I am consistent. <laughs> With the Frank sauce, right? <laughs> yep. Uh huh. Okay. Oh, yeah. The wings. That, that's But see, that's been my anchor meal since I was like, like 11. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> But I used to be a super picky eater. So whenever we went out to restaurants, I just always got the wings. Well, well, there you go. Um, it must be a good one. If that is, that's, you are consistent. Tell us again how you do it real quick, just for people. Yeah. So like I do it on my Traeger grill. So I've got a Traeger pellet grill. So it gets a lot of good smoke in there. I crank it up to like 
425, 430, um, probably 20, 25 minutes. I flip it halfway through and then I toss it in like grass-fed butter, like Kerrygold uh, and Frank's hot sauce. And then I've got some spices and things in there and it's, it's amazing. Mm, that sounds delicious. So good. It is. All right. You heard it now, people. You've got it. If you haven't tried it yet, try it. Um, okay. How about an Inkerverse? What, um, what's speaking to you? Yeah. So this is, I, I think this is really easy because um, really it's been as, you know, we come into our first year of, of being married. That's really where just a lot of my focus has been biblically. It's just how can, you know, how am I called to be a husband? Um, so actually on the in one is the, on the inside of my wedding band. Uh, is the one really, which is Mark ten nine, which is what the, what therefore God has joined together, let man not separate. Um, one of the things I, I I told her when you know before we got married, and before I even proposed, was listen, that ring goes on, it does not come off. And uh, we were watching it was it, it was either a movie or a show the other day. It was a show, um, and one of the characters he looked at his wife and or he he'd actually just proposed and they were going to get married. And he's like, just so you know, the only way out is a body bag. And I looked at her, I'm like, that's it. It's the only way out. Uh, I and, think you put so yours a little bit nicer. <laughs> this ring's not coming up instead of the body bag. <laughs> like death is the only way out of this. Um, and, and But it's, what does that take? More importantly, is like, okay, that's the surface, right? But what does that take? What then, how then do I have to show up to make sure she never even like, contemplates leaving how 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 does how does god call me to show up that way right so just as we talked about how you know the woman is the steward and the helper and the keeper of the home what what is the man's role in that right so it's you know when we look at ephesians five twenty five, it talks about you know husbands being responsible for their wife and loving their wife and being willing to sacrifice for her as god as christ sacrificed for us on the cross like that's a huge calling, right? It's like, that's if, if we took that as, you know, fully and what that really meant, like, that's a lot, you know, my, again, I, we're both going through mold illness, but how that affects me versus how it affects my wife is very different. I am able to, you know, I, I'm not as physically run down. And, you know, I was two years ago, I was a single father, who had no help around the house. So anyhow, I'm used to doing it all. And she often feels guilty because I might step in and do some of the things for her. You know, I can tell when she's just really out of it. And so I'll, you know, unload the dishwasher and load it back up. Or, you know, I'll ask her, you know, hey, you know, what needs to be done today? Can I vacuum? Can I clean a bathroom? Whatever it is. It's not on my to-do list, right? But it's, part of me is sacrificing some of that to to make sure she isn't overburdening herself so that she can get better so just as the wife has to sacrifice sometimes and maybe you know and, and help serve her husband i too have to sacrifice i don't get to go out as fishing you know and, and go fishing as much as i used to the you know the first summer Ian and i hooked up we were you know i was out on the lake probably 20 30 hours a week uh i would be gone all saturday sunday and obviously every week during the summer, I can't do that anymore. <laughs> I can't leave her every weekend during the summer and go fishing, but can I go out, you know, every couple of weeks? Yeah. You know, do I still go out? Yes. Right. And so it's, there's sacrifice, right. And that's, that's something we have to realize. And that has to come from both sides. 
Absolutely. And I think that's a beautiful um, kind of bringing this to a close is that what you basically said is that you're seeking and seeking the Lord to know how to be a good husband to take care of your woman. And I think um, as women listening to this, you know, the bottom line, the best way to take care of our man is to seek the Lord and ask, um, ask how we can, you know, serve our serve our guys in our life? How can we help them be healthier? What can we do? You know, what do we need to do to, to, um, to do that? So thank you. That was just came together so beautifully, so well. Yeah. Um, Michael, where can everybody find you, um, to whether somebody's listening, who's a practitioner or a client, Michael works with both. Um, how, so can you explain that a little and, and how you work with people and what capacity? Yeah. So I, I, you know, I, a lot of people wonder if I still work one-on-one with clients because I primarily like my, if you look at social media, a lot of my focus is on educating other practitioners, um, primarily through blood chemistry, um, and just working with clients as a whole. Um, but I do still work one-on-one with clients. Absolutely. Um, the, any, the best way to find anything you want about me, from a professional standpoint (laughs) would be to go to my Instagram. It's functional underscore blood underscore chemistry. Um, And any, any other links, you could shoot me a DM. You can comment on my posts. You can ask me any sorts of questions and I can, and it kind of can help kind of depending on, you know, if you're looking for a one-on-one work or you're looking to, you know, learn more as a, as a practitioner, whatever that may be, just shoot me a DM. That's the easiest thing. I'm my, my inbox is always open. I answer tons of DMs every single day. Um, You know, it's, it's not a problem. I know there's a lot of people are like, Oh, I, you know, I can't get to all of them. Like, I just do. Uh, I, I think it's just a way th- for me to serve um, is to is to really connect with my audience, um, and whether that's in comments, responding to all the comments, responding to DMs. I do, you know, the absolute best that I can. Um, so whatever the question is, reach out. Fantastic. Thanks again for being here. And thank you, everybody, for listening. I hope you have a healthy and blessed week. And I will talk to you soon. Remember that my mom is an awesome nutritionist, but she's not a doctor. The information in this podcast is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. Always talk to your doctor before making changes to your nutrition or exercise program. Thanks for listening. Have a healthy and blessed week.